This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. I'm excited about this episode with Melinda Emerson, the small biz lady. She shares her journey from dreaming of being a journalist when she was in eighth grade to somehow ending up at the drive-thru at McDonald's to eventually getting her dream job that turns into a nightmare working as a producer in broadcast television. Eventually, she pivots to her real dream job and to becoming the number one small business expert in America. I really enjoyed my conversation with Melinda. It's kind of hard not to. I'm sure you'll enjoy it too. My guest today is Melinda Emerson, the small biz lady. Uh, She is America's number one small business expert. She's an internationally renowned keynote speaker on small business development, social media, and content marketing. Melinda is also the president of Quintessence Group, an award-winning marketing consulting firm serving Fortune 500 brands, who target small business market. LinkedIn named her a top voice for 2019 in small business and entrepreneurship. In addition to being a former New York Times columnist, she is frequently quoted by media organizations including The Wall Street Journal, Fortune, MSNBC, CNBC, and Fox News. She is the host of Small Biz Chat Live and the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Forbes magazine named her the number one woman for entrepreneurs to follow on Twitter. A prolific writer, Melinda has published more than 5,000 articles on her blog, Success as Your Own Boss. Her small business advice is widely read, reaching more than 3 million entrepreneurs each week online. She is the best-selling author of Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months, the ebook How to Become a Social Media Ninja, And our latest book is Fix Your Business, a 90-day plan to get back your life and reduce chaos in your business. She's a graduate of Virginia Tech. Please welcome Melinda. So lovely to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time. And that's quite a buy. You've been uh, a busy bee doing lots of different things and uh, really helping small businesses in lots of different ways. I've actually been in business for 21 years. Um, I have been the small biz lady for about 12 of them. So uh, I shifted from running a business to teaching others how to run a business about 12, 13 years ago while still keeping my original marketing. I'm a lady. Awesome. We're going to go. I like to start from the beginning. So we'll start with where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? Oh, I was actually born in Huntsville, Alabama. And my father was a career salesperson for Kraft Foods. And my mom, um, she was a stay-at-home mom until I was 10. And then she started her career in the housing industry. So she um, worked for a government contractor that was a HUD contractor. And she did um, audits of multifamily, uh, senior citizen, high-rise, and um, 8A, um, not 8A, what is it, Section 8 housing. So when you were a kid... uh and Huntsville, Alabama is very far from Philadelphia. I did not grow up in Huntsville, Alabama. I was born there. I actually grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Um, 
And when you're a kid, did you have any sense when you were a little kid what you wanted to be when you grew up? I did. Um, ever since I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be a writer, wanted to be a journalist. And I went to college and got a journalism degree and worked as a television producer for five and a half years before I realized that I hated it. And then I started a business <laughs> when I was 26 years old and never looked back. Uh, so, yeah, that's my story. And so when you were a kid in eighth grade, was there someone, you know, you're looking to become potentially a journalist and a writer. Obviously, I like to say things, uh, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. There's a John Lennon quote I love. Um, was there any role models that you looked up to at that point, either other journalists or just other people in your life that you're like, you know, inspired you? Well, you know, at, at that time, being in middle school, being in a very isolated environment, um, you know, my music teacher uh, Mr. Bauer was was my biggest source of, of inspiration and encouragement. I also always got a lot of encouragement from my English teachers, like people told me that I wrote well. Um, and so I, I took a tremendous sense of pride in that. Um, but I didn't have any specific uh, journalists who, who I followed other than like maybe the local news anchors and stuff in my town. Um, but it was later in my life when I was in high school, I got involved in uh, the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, which is an offshoot of the National Association of Black Journalists. They had like a boot camp for high school kids that wanted to go into journalism. So I got involved in that program and and I was really excited to go to college and major in journalism. Uh, journalism, you know, I, I've talked to other journalists and and I'm a big believer in, in story being the most important way to communicate. Um, so were there any, any people, either in your family or friends, that were really good storytellers when you were growing up? My father was by far the best storyteller I ever knew. And he was the type of person, you know, he was a career sales guy, right? <laughs> My father was so good at telling a story. You could hear him tell the same story five times and be on the edge of your seat every time he told it because he was that good of a storyteller. What, what, what do you think made him so good? Well, you know, my father was Southern. He was from Alabama and, you know, he always had all these great colloquialisms, you know. So if you ask my dad, you know, how you doing? And he would say, I'm hanging like a cheap chandelier, but I'm hanging. You know, like he always had some snappy, you know, kind of comeback <laughs> that, that always made somebody smile or feel good. And that was just kind of who he was. Uh, what was your first paying job? You remember my first paying job I was in college mm -hmm. and I came home for one winter break and um, I asked my parents for something and my father was like you have never had a job you know what <laughs> you will get one this winter break while you are home and my father had a friend that owned um, a McDonald's and he took me down there and said, my child needs a job. She's home for the next month. Give her a job, any job in here. And they put me on the drive-through at that McDonald's. Wow, that's awesome. And that was, was like, the meanest, cruelest job ever. Like people are so mean to people in the, on the drive-through thing. Like I just couldn't even believe how mean people were. But you know what? It was a very humbling experience. Thank God I only had to do it for like three, four weeks. But it was the first time I had ever, you know, had a had a real job, you know, outside of like babysitting or something, like like a real job, like with a paycheck involved. Um, 
and it was very humbling. I also, you know, worked a work study job in college. I, I worked in the uh, Welcome Center. So when you first came to Virginia Tech, I was like, hi, welcome to Virginia Tech. Where, where can I direct you or how can I help you? Or do you know where your parking pass is? Blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. So I did that in college as well. And so you go on your, your uh, I mean, you're producing TV, which a lot of people would say is a dream job in a lot of ways. But then I mean, it was a dream job for somebody. It just wasn't <laughs> my dream. I mean, and the funny thing is, is that I always wanted to work in, in top five market television. My first job I got out of college was in Pittsburgh at the NBC station in my hometown. And then my second job when I was 23 was at NBC 10 in Philadelphia. And I got a chance to move here. And literally I was that young. And because it was a union environment for the producers and on their talent, I was making as much money as my dad, like when I was like 23 years old. Um, but I, I did not, enjoy the work environment. It was very um, hostile, very backbiting, very, you know, I, I couldn't believe how people behave. It was almost like a lawless environment. Um, and I just thought to myself, if I stay here any longer, I'm going to start acting like all of these people in here. <laughs> I've got to get out. Um, so I just crossed the street to Channel 6. Well, that was worse. So I decided that for me, I was just like, I realized that I was more talented than the work I was doing and that no one cared about local news except for the weather. And I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. I mean, but what was interesting about the five years that I spent in the business, I learned so much. Um, and it prepared me for later in life when now we live in a content society where all we do is develop content. And I'm like, yeah, I've got a journalism degree and a television production background. I believe I am perfectly suited <laughs> to be a top influencer in this industry. Um, and it's all because of the amazing training I had as a professional journalist. And then, so you, you had, you had a, um, a, a content company and still have one. And then you made the shift 12 years ago, you said to small biz lady, how did that come to be? How did you decide to become a small biz lady to kind of brand yourself that way? What was the origin story of that? I, I wish it was this brilliant story. It, it actually, it's, it's not. Um, well, I decided to pivot my business um, after I had my son. So my, my ex-husband and I were pregnant with my son. And um, when I got pregnant with my son in 2005, I ended up with a high risk pregnancy. I got put on bed rest for six months. And you got to realize 2005, 2006 was right before Wi-Fi was everywhere. So getting sent home and, and being told that I couldn't work for six months was a nightmare. I mean, it literally, think about it like this. I went from being the worst workaholic you ever met. Like I was a five day I mean, I would leave church on Sunday and go to the office and work three, four more hours. I mean, I was awful. I would regularly not get home before nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I truly believe that God helped me to get pregnant on purpose so he could stop me. You know what I mean? Honestly, you could call my office at seven o'clock in the evening and people would answer the phone like it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Not only was I a workaholic, I created that culture for all of the people that worked for me. And it was toxic and I had no idea. So then I have this little boy, you know, and my son was born at the very end of that year. 
So you're talking about the end of 2005. And then I had to figure out in 2006, I spent the whole year, A, learning how to be a mom and B, trying to figure out how to save my business. Because at that point, I was the number one rainmaker in my business. And so when I wasn't there, there wasn't no rain being made. And we almost lost my business the year I had my son. And so after I survived all of that, you know, and my son got to about his first birthday and I had not permanently maimed this kid in any way. You know, I was like, okay, it's time for me to reinvent myself and reinvent this business. And I just started looking around and because one of the things when I was on bed rest, I, I, it was the first time I had ever had to actually sit down and think about my business because I was just like every day, you know, I was at it every day and and, it was, and and having to be home and go to the hospital three times a week, getting testing done and all that, you know, it, was, it, it changed my whole personality. And what I realized was, is that I would have run my business better if I had had better advice. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have created a vacuum of where most of our sales came through me if I had had better advice, you know, and I, and I, and I realized that there was nobody in mainstream media that was giving people small business advice. So literally I looked around, you know, like Susie Orman was doing her thing. Jean Chatsky was starting to do her thing on the Today Show, you know, but they were talking about 401ks and retirements and stuff. Nobody was talking about, hey, you want to learn how to fish for yourself? That's what I'm talking about. And I said, because of my media background, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could be the lady that gives people small business advice. Um, but I am a praying person. I'm a deeply religious person. And, and I literally prayed because I felt a little bit lost. You know, like I had this brand new baby. I, you know, my business was okay, but it wasn't great. And, and by the way, my marriage was crumbling too in the background of all of that. And so I was like, okay, Lord, what direction would you have me to go? Because <laughs> it was like, I was 33 having a full, you know, midlife crisis. And I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Um, and literally he gave me a vision and a dream three times to become America's number one small business expert. And it was at that time that I was like, okay, you sure? And he was like, I'm sure, you know, um, and literally then he just started moving mountains out of my way to make it happen. And, and I literally mean that my first book, um, become your own boss in 12 months, which I'm so grateful has been in print for 10 years. It is in second edition. It's in multiple languages around the world. I got that book deal. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a book proposal. I had four chapters and a table of contents. That's what I had. And one day ended up on the phone with a book editor and, um, we weren't talking even about books. We were talking about something else. And he was like, well, cause I was actually arguing with him about this business plan software that they had taken off the market. I was like, why did you guys take this off the market? It was like, excellent. And they were like, well, the owner of the company left and the new owners bought the company and that guy created the software. So they took it away. And I'm like, well, look, y'all need to bring it back. And he said, well, we would never bring it back unless we had a book connected to it. I said, oh yeah. I got a book. I got a book, you know, and at the time my book was called how to quit your job and become your own boss in 18 months or less was the original title of my book. And he was like, well, who's publishing your book? And I was like, nobody, I'm going to self publish it. And the guy on the phone was like, nah, what, why would you do that? Cause this was before was the self publishing thing was like, okay. Like it was like, if you self published your book back then you were like, want, want, like nobody thought you were legit at all. 
And so he said, I tell you what, he said, send me your chapters and your table of contents and a media kit about yourself. And I'll let you know what I think about your little book. That's what he told me. And this was like, this was like Thanksgiving 2007. And so, of course, I, you know, I panicked, but I, you know, I cleaned up my chapters I had and I, and I had sent them to him. And this was like Thanksgiving 2007, January 3rd, 2008, I got a call from him. And he said, do you have any more chapters? I think I like your little book. And so I said, I had three more chapters, but they were rough. Like they hadn't even been edited or looked at by anybody else. Like, oh God. And so um, I cleaned them up, sent them to them. And that March they called and gave me a book contract. And my book was due to the publisher September 1st, 2008. Now that's an important date for this story because yes. uh, I worked my buns off that whole summer. I mean, like I worked like an animal to get, Get this book done. And I have to tell you, I was frightened the whole time because I really didn't know that book was like my personal manifesto about what I thought it took to, to, to run a successful business, to start it and to run it. And I wasn't sure if people would accept me, you know, like the, they, one really is the loneliest number, right? When you are sitting there and with blank computer screen with your own thoughts, writing down what you think people need to know, that is a scary thing to do. And I wrote this book and I put my whole heart into it. I mean, like every ancient Chinese secret I had, I put it in the book and I sent it to them. I sent it on time. They got that manuscript on September 1st. Well, you remember what happened September 14th, 2008, don't you? I do. People's 401ks became 10ks. You remember that? <laughs> the sky fell, all this stuff happened. So my publisher called me up and said, listen, Thank you so much for being uh, a first-time entrepreneur that actually, a first-time author that actually turns your book in on time. Mm -hmm. You're like a unicorn already, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they said, but listen, we're going to postpone the release of your book. Hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> All these people lose their jobs. What do you mean you're going to postpone the release of my book? And they said, we do not think this is a favorable time or what did they say? We want to bring the book out in a more favorable book environment was the mm. word they, and I said, so what's my new pub date? And they said, March of 2010. 2010? 2010. They shelved my book for 18 months. And I wanted to ask I, published. Yeah, it actually got published in March of 2010. So at that time, though, you got to realize I had kind of wound down my mm -hmm. video production company because I thought I was about to go on this national book tour. I was going to become America's number one small business expert. Right? Wrong. Okay. So, so then I'm like, okay, holy macaroni, Batman, what am I going to do? And literally, I was talking to some friends in the National Speakers Association, and I was like, you guys... This is what my publisher just did to me. And they said, one woman in the room, her name was Laura Stack, and she said, listen, if I were you, I would start publicizing that book like it was coming out anyway, and I would figure out this new social media thing, because I think it's going to be real key to you building an audience for this book. Now, you got to realize, we're talking about 2008. Was Twitter one year old in 2000? I mean, it, so 
a friend, another friend of mine said, look, I know a publicist that kind of knows a lot about this social media thing. I'm going to give you her number. And I called her, her name is Kathy Larkin. And so I told her my sad story, you know, the one that I just told you. And she said to me, you mean we got 18 months to build your author platform? She was jumping up and down. She said, when is this book coming out? She said, March 2010. She said, she said to me, I know it doesn't feel like they did you a favor, but they did you a favor. And at this time, I, my arms was folded. I was, a, I was on the other end of the phone, looking at the phone like, yeah, chick, whatever. Like, like I was so disgusted with the book business, the, just the whole thing. I felt like I had been hoodwinked, bamboozled, and mistreated. I, I was so upset. And she said, Melinda, she said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go out on Twitter and build your brand. And I said, what is Twitter? Right. You know, literally I had no idea what she was even talking about. And she said, don't worry, I'm going to show you how to use Twitter. We'll use my account so I can teach you and then we'll, you know, get you your own account. So the day finally came for me to get my own Twitter account, you know, after like two weeks of her showing me some stuff. And, uh, we go, she's on the phone in front of her computer. I'm on the phone in front of my computer. I go to twitter.com and I put in Melinda Emerson and I get this notice back. Taken. This name is already taken. Yeah, I was like, what do you mean? I, I'm like, there are six other adult Melindas that I even know that are my age or older than me. So my name was not common. Like uh. I could never find my name on the gas station keychain thing. You know what I mean? Like growing up, like, I, I was like, what do you mean there's another Melinda Everson? <laughs> like, that doesn't even make sense. So, so my publicist at the time, she said, well, let's go over to Facebook and see if we can't find the other Melinda Emerson. Well, as it turns out, there are seven other Melinda Emerson. Um, I am the only black one, however, <laughs> and I own MelindaEmerson.com. So when any of them have tried to build their social media footprint, I'm a problem for them now. <laughs> But anyhow, um, long story short, she said to me, well, Melinda, we got to come up with a nickname for you. And I said, a nickname for me? You mean like, like Mindy or Melly Mel or something? And she said, no, fool, you're not a rapper. I'm not going to give you a name like that. And I said, well, well, what kind of name are you thinking about? She said, well, we need to come up with something that will tell people who you are and what you do. And so we kicked a couple things down. She said, how about small biz guru? I'm like, I don't want Michael Gerber to call me and ask me what my problem is. So no. Uh, then she said, well, how about small biz expert? You know, that's great keywords. I said, mm, I think it is for other people to call you an expert. I'm not so sure it's for you to call yourself one in your own title of your nickname. She was like, all right, all right. She said, well, how about small biz lady? And I was like, I think I could be that lady literally. And that is the day I became the small biz lady and that we now know all these years later was the best branding accident that ever could have possibly happened to me. So I am the small biz lady. I am the host of the small biz chat podcast and small biz chat live. And I am America's number one small business expert with a brand that reaches 3 million entrepreneurs a week online. Yeah, when you were talking about uh, your your faith and and you know your son, I wanted to share, and I've shared this with other people. I have an aunt who's a rabbi, and when things like that happen, she has a term for it that I love, um, which she refers to as divine choreography. When things just happen the way they're meant to, divine. So it sounds like you had some divine choreography along your path for sure. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they say every kick is a boost. They mean it. Um, so for me, you know, after we decided that I would become the small biz lady and we had 18 months before this book came out, you know, I worked Twitter like a job till mm -hmm. that book came out. I mean, literally I, I built a following under small biz chat, which is a live chat we used to do every single week for 10 and a half years. Wow. Um, on Twitter every Wednesday night, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And then I created my blog, succeedasyourownboss.com. And I've been publishing on that blog 11 years faithfully, two to three, two to three posts a week. Um, and my blog now has extremely high uh, domain authority. And we publish over 5,000 articles on that blog. So, um, you know, I think it's about intention, but I think it's more so about consistency. You know, if you ask me what was the difference between me and other people who were trying to do it, it was that I always treated my blog like a business mm -hmm. and I always treated it like it was a service vehicle. Like I, I very much think about what does my audience need to know? What are they struggling with? And how do I know that? Because I'm a small business owner too. I've already struggled with it or I might be struggling with it right now. So as I'm learning about it, I'm going to write about it and help you too. You know, so that's, so that's what I've always done and it has always served me. And I will tell you all of the other elevated opportunities that I've gotten, whether it was my column that I did for entrepreneur.com for two years or my column that I did for the New York times for two and a half years, all of those things came because those people who were hiring went and read my blog for a year before they ever called me. You know, and they saw the consistency. They saw the quality of the writing. They had gone and read my book too, because I promise you, they won't go let me give, uh, you know, give advice on a national level unless they knew I knew how to give advice. You know, and it's interesting because I think one of the things that I've heard before and, and I've experienced as an entrepreneur myself, consistency, as you said, is enormously important. But I think the other thing that, that you're talking about is patience, because a lot of people, especially in this instant, you know, environment, are expecting that. I write a blog and then I become, you know, the next big thing. And, you know, you don't realize that you have to do it consistently for a long time before someone takes notice. You know, before you do, you do. And, and that's the thing. Like, so I want to, I want to back up the story a little bit and tell you that. So, okay. The book came out in March of 2010, but honestly, it wasn't until the fall of 2010 really into the top of 2011 mm -hmm. that things really started to go. And, and so it was about 24 months of grinding, of using social media every day, spending hours a day developing content and using social media and it not making any money. Right. So I need to say that, you know, do you have two years to invest in something that's not making you any money? Because if you want to be me when you grow up, that's what you have to understand is the minimum requirement. And right. that and that was back then. It's it's incredible now because so many people are doing content. I don't even know that you could build a brand like I built now. I, I, don't, I mean, you, you certainly can. There's certainly people that have become Instagram influencers and YouTube influencers and stuff. But you have to be so niche now. Like you, you can't. The, the sort of like generalist influencer, that doesn't really, that doesn't really work for people anymore. Melinda, let me ask you. So in your, you know, 21 years, 
12 years as a small biz lady. Where is the most surprising place you found, unexpected you found yourself, whether it was a certain job or a location or talking to someone like, I never knew this was going to happen. Can you think of any time where you're just like, how did this happen? You know, um, I can tell you two instances very specifically. Um, when I was asked to become a columnist for the New York Times, mm -hmm. that was like, that was a dream come true for somebody who, who since eighth grade wanted right. to be a journalist. And I had gone into broadcast. And normally, if you go to broadcast, you will never get to print. There are print people who become broadcast journalists, but there are never broadcast journalists that become print journalists. It doesn't happen. And it happened to me. And I remember the first time I got a paper and I saw my byline, you know what I'm saying? Like I cried because it was like, I remember being that eighth grader with a electric typewriter, you know what I mean? Like it was the culmination of all of that work and all of the support that my parents gave me and going to Virginia Tech and, you know, doing a study abroad in London, working for ABC News in London and working for the Today Show in New York and, and writing for the student newspaper. It was, it was the culmination of my entire career. And I remember when I graduated, the day that I graduated from college, I had a little reception at the school and I invited a couple of my professors and my family was there. And I made the announcement that I was going into broadcast and not print. And I had an editorial writing professor there. His name was Dr. Kenneth Reichelm. And I'll never forget it because he walked up to me and he was furious. You know how you can like just get heat off of people. You can tell like they are mad. And he said to me, he said, let me tell you something. He said, one day you will be discovered because of something you write. It will never be for something that you do in television. And he left my reception. <laughs> I mean, he was, You're like, he was, he was like, I can't believe this kid is going into, you know, going into broadcast instead of print because that's how much talent he thought I had. And when I got my book deal with, mm -hmm. with, with uh, Simon Schuster to publish Become Your Own Boss, I had to find Dr. Reistrom. He had retired. He bought a farm <laughs> out, out west. And I tracked him down nice. and told him, I said, you know, Doc, I think you were right. <laughs> and uh, and I, I appreciated him so much because, you know, People think writing, people don't realize that writing is a career. Like if you have the ability to write so many opportunities you can create for yourself and that it is a talent, it is a skill, it is, and it is something now that content is king. Content rules the world. People that know how to write are running all kinds of things. And it, you know, and it's the thing that kids struggle with. Like kids struggle with math and they struggle with writing. And I'm like, be a writer, be a reader so you can be a writer, you know. Um, but I just know for me, that was one of the most amazing things that ever happened in my career. I think the second thing that I could think of like that was when I was invited to speak in China. Wow. I was invited to speak at a business conference in China, um, in Hangzhou, China. And... 
it was like, you know, I, I mean, it, it was almost like my seven-year-old self was like, well, look at that, you know? Me, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You sure you got the right Melinda Everson? Yeah, yeah, I mean, literally, it was like, I am getting on this flight business class and flying to Hangzhou, you know what I mean? And, and so just the things that being the small biz lady has afforded my life and my and my family and the places that I've been invited to go. I mean, I've spoken all over the world now. I've spoken to China, Singapore, France, Chile, Nigeria. I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to travel around the world as the small biz lady. And these are things that never would have happened had I kept that little stupid job as a, a producer, a morning news, are you kidding me? Like, ugh, I can't even imagine it now. But But again, I just think that you never know I mean, they, they say that God can dream it bigger for you than you can dream it for yourself. And I know that to be true. Uh, I want to ask you, you just talked about, you know, being a writer and, and, you know, the talent and the skill that it is. And one question I ask a, a lot of my guests is, you know, telling stories is, is a, a piece that's become really important in business. Do you think that, uh, being a good storyteller is something that can be learned or do you think some people either have it or they don't? I mean, it's hard for me to say, because it's not like you can major in storytelling, right? You know, I mean, I think that I learned how to be a great storyteller because I was raised by a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really do think there's something you learn about. Um, I think people in sales are very good storytellers, right? You got to be able to build quickly with strangers, you know. So I do I think you can learn to be a good storyteller? Yeah, I think you can. Um, but I think it starts with the right personality to begin with. Like, like, are you empathetic? Are you more interested than interesting? You know, mm -hmm. like, like, are you the type of person that gives a damn? If you are, you can be a great storyteller because you're observant. Mm -hmm. You're paying attention. You're listening to the little things people say and watching the things they do versus the things they are shouting at you. Mm. And I think that that's where it comes from. I asked you about someone who inspired you when you were younger. I'm just curious in general, what inspires you now? You know, I, I get inspired from the entrepreneurs that send me amazing letters. Sometimes they send me amazingly sad letters. Sometimes they send me letters like, I read your book and it changed my life. I mean, those are the letters that I live for. And I print them and I have a file of them in my office. Because there's some days when I don't feel like being your small biz lady and I have to whip them out. <laughs> and I have to remember why I do this, you know. Um, but the, the entrepreneurs, the, the, I want them to win every day and that is what drives me that's what inspires me certainly my son who is my whole heart he inspires me too but i think everybody's inspired by their kids so i don't know every that's day every day even when i want to kill them <laughs> right right even when i want to choke them out because they ate the last cookie my corona snacks keep disappearing but yeah i mean my son likes to bake so we keep replenishing them my son just likes to eat, so it's just what it is. Um, but yeah, you know, I think just being grateful for the opportunity, um, just recognizing that, you know, people don't have to read your stuff. People certainly don't have to share it. Mm. So 
it better be good. Like write something worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't just write something to be writing something, write something because it's actually going to help somebody. Give people actionable advice. Don't just give people theory and, you know, esoteric BS. Give, give people stuff that's like, look, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And then, but you have a cake. You know what I mean? Like, give people actionable advice. That's the only thing what piece of advice, speaking of advice, would you have given yourself, your 21-year-old self? now so if you could go back and say hey 20 year old melinda here's my advice to you i would have told myself that i was already enough mm. i think that in my young life certainly in the beginning of my business i was frightfully insecure like i was so afraid of somebody figuring out what i didn't know versus embracing it and being like hey i don't know that i'll find out i'll read up on it you know right. but i was so afraid of particularly being a young woman business owner. And you have to realize that when I was young, when I started my business, I was 26 and I looked like 12, you know? And so it was hard. I would go places, go to meetings. They want to talk to my staff instead of talking to me. You know what I mean? It was like, so all of those things fed the insecurity mm -hmm. and anxiety and all that stuff. And so I think I wish I had the confidence that I have now. Like I, my father used to say, that youth was wasted on the young. And I think I finally got old enough to appreciate what he was saying. Mm -hmm. Like I had finally gotten to the point where I'm like, wow, yeah, if I could go back and be 25 again with right. what I know now, I'd be dangerous. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. So I want to ask you about the content marketing in general, you know, small business in general. What do you think is next for small businesses. I mean, obviously the current crisis is crazy, but in general, where do you think small business is going? Trend wise well, or otherwise? I think right now, small business is going to, there's going to be a big separation. We're going to lose a lot of small businesses right now. And I think the ones that survive are going, the business owners that survive are going to be the ones that have the ability to really develop themselves online, have effective communications with their customers, and really know how to package themselves and package their content in a way that really adds value and not price. Because right now, nobody has money, nobody has any extra money, in, you know, invoices are not being paid. So if you have an offer, you gotta figure out how to make that offer so irresistible so competitively priced, you've got to really, really know your customer. You can't wing it. You got to understand who your customer is, what they need, what they're struggling with, how they buy, and how much money they actually have to buy. And if you can figure that all that formula out, you can make a zillion dollars right now. But if you still think you're going to get what you were charging three months ago, you are mistaken. And so I think it's just time for everybody to have a big reality check and a reset. And I think the word pivot is going to be used by a whole bunch of people because obviously if you're a big keynote speaker and now there's nobody traveling, no events happening, you're in trouble if that was the only thing or the main thing you were selling. Um, and I think that you just have to think about, one, one of the things I know is that big businesses are always made in recessions. 
the last recession produced Airbnb, produced Uber, you know, the recession that the great recession in 1929 produced 3M, also known as Scotch Tape, produced Toll House Cookies, which are things that we still have today. Mm -hmm. So recessions do create businesses, um, but recessions kill businesses too. Mm -hmm. And literally, if your business model was shaky to begin with, you're in trouble. And it's just that. But also, too, great businesses that people need. Hair salons, beauty, you know, barbers, nail salon, all this kind of stuff. These guys are in trouble, too, because it's like, what can you do if you can't touch your customer? What can you do? Right. And so it's really important that we think about how we can serve people better and not be obviously you need to make money. But it's really about how can you be of service to your customer and build loyalty because loyalty is built in times like this. And that's really what it's about more than anything. And agree. Uh, what about Melinda Emerson? What's next for you? Whoa, what is next for me? Well, one of the things that we're working on um, is creating Small Biz Lady University. And I'm going to be certifying small biz lady trainers to teach my curriculums and my materials around the country. And I'm, secretly, exciting. I'm secretly working on a new book. So yeah. hopefully post COVID, I will have some new material to put out there um, that will be timely and relevant. So that's what I'm working on. Well, speaking of timely and relevant, this is the section where I have nine supposedly rapid fire questions. So don't think about them too much. Just kind of first off the hook. Um, and then we'll, we'll be on our way. So is it better to be a planner or a doer? Planner. Should stories always have a happy ending? No, you learn more from negative stories than you do from positive ones. Do you have a favorite emoji? I like the emoji, the LOL emoji that laughs, that actually is animated and moves up and down. I send that to people a lot. If you had to sing a karaoke song, do you have a song you'd have to sing? Oh gosh, it would have to be a Whitney Houston song. I, I want to dance with somebody, probably my favorite. Uh, what's your favorite, you're a social media person, what's your favorite platform right now? Twitter, of course. <laughs> I like that you're, you're loyal to Twitter. I, listen, I'm a diehard Twitter diva. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> uh, can you name a book that left a lasting impression on you? The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber Great is book. my absolute all-time favorite business book, followed closely by Profit First mm -hmm. by my college classmate, Mike McCallowitz. That's been referenced many times with me. Uh, can you name one of your favorite movies? Oh, gosh. My favorite movie? Ah, it's Except one of one of. I was like, oh, that's a tough one. So, Coming to America by Eddie Murphy <laughs> is I I could probably repeat the dialogue from it. Um, my favorite serious movie would probably be Shawshank Redemption. It's my favorite movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? And, I, and I just showed it to my children for the first time about two weeks ago. It was awesome. Oh, oh yeah, I, I adore that movie. Um. What's the one thing you can't live without? I can't live without NPR. Mm. Oh, I like that. And if you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be? 
I could be credited with inventing something, what would it be? Maybe not inventing something, but definitely perfecting something. I perfected the tweet chat on Twitter, no doubt. Uh, and you've been amazing. Uh, I want to thank you for sharing and giving so much valuable content. Um, is there anything you want to promote? I mean, are you ready to start promoting Small Biz University? Oh, absolutely. Not yet. Not Small Biz Lady University. But the one thing that I would love to promote is anyone looking to start a business. I've got a 30-day fast start program for anyone looking to start a business and if you got a business that needs a tweak that you know you need to fix a business head over and check out my book fix your business on succeedisyourownboss.com and i've got a 12-week online course how to fix your business as well so if you're ready for a deep dive you know you got a business model that needs a regroup come holler at me i fix businesses every day great and where is the best place to find you is it melindaemerson.com um, you can find me, Small Biz Lady, all over social media. Mm -hmm. I am Melinda Emerson on LinkedIn, and certainly my website, SucceedIsYourOwnBoss.com. Melinda, this has been a real pleasure for me. Uh, you're just a breath of fresh air always when I hear you speak and when I speak to you. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for helping us connect the dots. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.